good to be back with you this morning. Good to be back preaching. And uh, I'm excited that we are starting this new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. It's going to be very fun. I've been looking forward to this for a a while now. And we're only going to be in Proverbs for the first two months of the year. So obviously we're not going to cover every verse in the book of Proverbs, but we will cover a good bit. And uh, we want to start the year with wisdom, right? So last year our focus was on the kingdom of God. This year our focus is going to be on the kingdom of God. And the book of Proverbs actually speaks to that theme because it is the king's wisdom for the king's people, right? So Proverbs teaches us how we can live wisely as citizens of God's kingdom here on earth. And so you might be wondering, though, Well, why Proverbs? Aren't there a bunch of other books in the Bible that could point us better to that theme? Aren't there some other books we could be studying? Why Proverbs? And I really want to put this before the church. There are really two reasons that I think we should be studying Proverbs. The first reason is this. God inspired 66 books of the Bible because He fully intended 66 books to be read preached, understood, and applied to our lives. Amen? God, He inspired 66 books, and the problem is a lot of preachers and a lot of churches ignore this today. Many preachers just want to preach the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they maybe want to preach some of Paul's letters, occasionally a psalm, if it's summertime, only summertime. <laughs> they, they, they want to stick to those things, and so what ends up happening is, the large majority of the Bible gets completely neglected in the church today. And that is a shame. Because if God had intended only four books of the Bible to be preached, He would have inspired only four books of the Bible. But as it is, He inspired 66. So we have an obligation and a responsibility to preach all 66 books of the Bible, including things like Proverbs and Song of Solomon. Stay tuned. If the Lord gives me many years, we will get there. So, we want to do that. And uh, I do pray that God would give me many years to preach through every book of the Bible. But that's the first reason. But the second reason is that it's important for us to study Proverbs because we're living in a time in which this world is absolutely void of wisdom. And all God's people said... Amen. We can just wrap it up now. I'll give the invitation. This world is void of wisdom, which is crazy considering the time in which we're living because we have more immediate, unfettered access to information than at any other point in history. Right? Like, if you have a question right now, all you have to do is get this little computer out of your pocket and you just type in a question and you will find the answer in a matter of seconds. This thing can give us all sorts of information, all sorts of knowledge, but not wisdom, right? There's a difference. There's plenty of knowledge in our world, but there's not a lot of wisdom. And we need to understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom. I mean, knowledge is simply just knowing brute facts, right? It's it's just knowing information. But wisdom is skillfulness in living. That's what wisdom is. It's not this metaphysical concept. Wisdom is skillfulness in living. It's the right application of the knowledge you possess. And the problem that we're running into in our world is that people are stopping at knowledge and they're not taking the next step to wisdom. Right? And they need to because that's where the big disconnect comes in. That's where the problems come in. So for instance, a person may know 
Now, he'll get lots of views on a video if he participates in a viral TikTok challenge. He knows that. That's his knowledge. He says, okay, uh, there's this viral TikTok challenge going around. All I have to do is film myself doing it. I'll get lots of views on this video, lots of likes. Maybe it'll turn into some money. They know that. That's their knowledge. But they don't stop to consider whether or not it is wise to eat Tide Pods or cook chicken in NyQuil, which is things that people are actually doing in the world right now, which is crazy. Again, is it not? Not a lot of wisdom in the world. Or, or consider another example, right? Here's an easy one. Let's say you've got a check engine light that just came on. It's the first of the year. That's a great way to start the year, isn't it? You get in your car, check engine light comes on. Knowledge is knowing that there's something wrong with your car, right? But wisdom is taking your car to a mechanic because there's something wrong with your car. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. One says, I know something's wrong. The other says, I'm going to act on this because I know something is wrong. Or maybe one final example. Scientists, they now know how to bring back extinct species, such as dinosaurs and woolly mammoths. And just lucky us for the time we're living in, 2024, their plan this year Later this year is to actually bring back the woolly mammoth out of extinction and reintroduce it to its natural habitat. That's happening this year. Scientists know how to do this. If it's extinct, if it's a dinosaur, we can bring it back now. They know that, but they're not stopping to consider whether or not it is wise to do that. I mean, I would recommend watching Jurassic Park, then maybe rethinking it, you know. There's some wisdom to be gained there. This is the problem we're running into. We have all this information in our world today that can make us experts on just about anything, but we're the dumbest experts the world has ever seen because we have no wisdom. And why don't we have wisdom? It's because we have rejected God. We don't have wisdom in our world. The reason we're lacking it is just because people don't know God. And this goes really well with the sermon that, that Jordan preached last week because his sermon was all about knowing God. Great sermon. Admittedly, feels weird to say that now because a large portion of it was my sermon that he was reusing. But nonetheless, the topic was on knowing God. And that's the issue here too. The reason that our world is lacking so much knowledge, is lacking so much wisdom, is because they don't know God. And God is the source, the origin of all knowledge and all wisdom. There is no knowledge and wisdom apart from God. And so when you reject God, when you get rid of Him, what you're doing is you're actually sealing up the fountain from which all wisdom comes. If you reject God, you will be like the fools who despise wisdom. And see, what's interesting is as we talk about wisdom, a lot of people think about it as a concept, this metaphysical idea. But what the Bible teaches us, and Proverbs specifically teaches us is that wisdom is not just some idea. It's not a concept. Wisdom is a person. What do we read in our scripture reading? Christ, the wisdom of God. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is literally the embodiment of all of God's divine wisdom. And so if you know Jesus, you know wisdom. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more you grow in wisdom. And Proverbs is going to tell us that that right relationship begins by fearing God. I mean, notice Proverbs 1.7. It literally says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Which means this whole point of this whole first section is this, church, until we learn to fear the Lord, we will continue to lack wisdom. That's why the world is in the place that it's in right now. That's why we lack so much wisdom in our world. That's why people make so many dumb decisions and do so many dumb things. Until we learn to fear the Lord, to have a holy reverence for God, a holy all for God, until we learn to fear Him, we will continue to lack wisdom. And so here's our question as we dive into this first section of Proverbs. Here's what I want us to consider together. How does fearing the Lord help us gain wisdom? If we're saying that fearing the Lord is essential for wisdom, well, how does that actually help us gain wisdom? What's the connection there? And that's what I want us to help us, want to help us see this morning. And, and so we're going to dive in now. We're going to begin in verse 2. But the first thing I want us to understand is that as we dive in here, when we're talking about wisdom, I want you to think about wisdom as a coin. A coin that has two sides or two different aspects to it, okay? It's the same coin. It's just made up of two different sides. All right, so this first side, look at verse 2. This is what verse 2 says. The point of the Proverbs, it's to know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight. All right, so here are the two aspects of wisdom. On the first side of the coin, you have knowledge. It's just brute facts, brute information. Uh, This word know, when it says here to know wisdom and instruction, It refers to knowledge of a thing. It's meaning something was previously unknown to you, and now it has become known to you. That's simply what this means, right? So uh, I was playing chess with a friend uh, online, and I won. And immediately after I won, he texted me and said, GG. And I'm old. So I was like, I don't know. I have no idea what that means. I don't know if that was a typo. So I texted him back. I was like, hey, I don't know if you just sat on your phone or if that was a typo or what that means, but I I don't know what you're saying here. And he goes, oh, GG, it just means good game. And I'm like, oh, so I'm officially old now. Great, got it. So I was like, okay, but I didn't know that, and now I do. Something was unknown to me, but now it's become known to me. That's what this is talking about here. It's saying that God literally desires for wisdom and instruction to become known to us. God's not trying to hide it from us. God is not trying to keep wisdom from people. He's not trying to keep instruction from people. God desires us to know wisdom and instruction. It is the desire of His heart. And again, this doesn't have to do with some ephemeral concept here. The word wisdom, if you want to circle it in your Bibles there, to know wisdom, the word wisdom here, it simply has to do with common sense. It's how to deal with the day-to-day things that you face in life, from being a good spouse, to being financially responsible, to acting justly, and so on. That's what this word wisdom means. It just means how to deal, like rightly, how to deal well with the things that you're going to encounter on a day-to-day basis in this life. And Proverbs is saying, God wants you to know that. He wants you to know how to live wisely in this world But he wants you to understand that that's not going to happen apart from him. That there is no way that you're going to come to know anything or grow in wisdom apart from God. Here's what I want you to understand, church. Without God, we can't know anything. Plain and simple. Without God, we can't know anything. Now, of course, our world agrees with this entirely, correct? 
No, of course not. People in our world, they think they know all sorts of stuff. They've got everything figured out. They don't need God, is what they say. And they're just showing how they are fools who despise wisdom. Because the Bible teaches, without God, you cannot know anything. You might say, okay, pastor, that sounds good, but, but go ahead and prove it. Can you show me how it's true that without God, we can't know anything? Well, for instance, think about right and wrong. Let's just start there, okay? How on earth are we to know what is right and wrong apart from God? We need some sort of standard, do we not? If you're going to call something right, you're going to call something wrong, good or bad, you need some sort of standard. And if you get rid of God, you have to replace Him with some other standard. So if we're thinking about right and wrong, who are we supposed to listen to if there is no God? Society? The world? Well, that's a bad standard to have. I mean, think about this, for instance. Society right now tells us it's wrong to murder people. That's the, the, the standard that they set up. They say, hey, it's wrong to murder people. We all want to agree with that. Yes? More confident, please. <laughs> yes? <laughs> yes, right? Like, it's wrong to murder people. But listen, that same society says, yes, it's wrong to murder people unless they're unborn. Then you can murder as many people as you want. 63.6 million murders by abortion since 1974. I was telling some guys this earlier, you'd have to wipe out 27 of our 50 states in order to reach that number. So society says, hey, it's wrong to murder unless it's a baby who hasn't been born yet, then that's totally fine. Well, that's an inconsistent standard, is it not? That same society says, hey, it's wrong to condemn homosexuality. You shouldn't do that. That same society, 50 years ago, was condemning homosexuality. That's inconsistent yet again. How are we supposed to trust a standard that is inconsistent and always changing? I mean, we're supposed to look to the world for right and wrong. They, They can't even tell us what it is. They make up their minds. You basically have to wake up every single day and check the news and go, okay, here's the things that are good today. Here are the things that are bad today. Check back tomorrow because it might change. We need a better standard, do we not? And you get that with God. You know what right and wrong is? It's whatever God says it is. Because He is the absolute standard of morality. The Bible tells us this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. He will never change His mind. What He says is true now, and it will be true all throughout eternity as we are singing praises to His name. So without God, you can't know right and wrong. In other words, if you eliminate God from the moral conversation, there is no moral conversation. Everything just devolves into chaos. You might be saying, well, pastor, that's just one thing. Yeah, sure, it is. Think about justice. Here's another thing. Think about justice. We've heard a lot about justice over the past few years, right? Seen a lot on TV about it, a lot in the news about it, people calling for it. You see these crowds and these these rioting groups who were screaming out and calling for justice. Let me ask you something, church. How do we even know what justice is apart from God? Who's to say what justice is? Have you looked at what some of the things our world claims is justice? There's no justice to it. I mean, our world talks about this all the time. 
how can our world explain this innate sense of justice that we all have? You know we all have it, right? Every person has this innate sense and longing for justice, for wrongs to be righted. When we see people being mistreated, we say, this isn't right. What do we say? We say, it ought not be this way. Yes? Well, here's my question for you. Where does that come from? If we are living in a purely materialistic world that came about by pure happenstance and evolved over a series of unguided chance processes, there is no ought. You can't ask or say it ought not be this way because if evolution is true, there is no ought. We just are right here because this is where evolution has led us to. The world just is the way it is because that is the place that evolution has led us to. But there is no ought. Things just are the way they are. And yet, do we not all have that deep longing for justice? When we see people being mistreated, when we see wrongs and evil happening in our world, don't we long for something to be done about it? Materialism cannot explain that. Evolution cannot explain that. The only thing that can explain that is God Himself, who is the judge of all the earth, who will do right. If you want one final example, I mean, just think about ethics and how we treat other people. Why does it matter how we treat people? You know, our world says that it does matter, right? They they make all these laws seem pretty arbitrary in a purely materialistic world, but they make all these laws. They say it matters how you treat people. But why? Why does it matter? I mean, if evolution is true, what is evolution all about? It's about the survival of the what? The fittest. It's about the survival of the fittest. So why not do whatever you want to do as long as it advances you and your calls, if that's true? If you want to be with someone else's spouse, but clearly they're already married, why not just kill that person and take their spouse? It advances you. It's survival of the fittest. Do what you want. Why not lie and cheat and steal to get your way and advance yourself? I mean, is that not what evolution says? Survival of the fittest. So go and survive. Prove yourself to be the fittest. And yet our world, they still say, well, it matters how you treat people. It matters. But materialism offers no justification for this whatsoever. Materialism says that every person in this room and every person on earth is nothing more than stardust. You know that, right? They say that long ago, billions and billions of years ago, two stars collided, ruptured, as you heard from the microphone, which was totally intentional because I'm flamboyant like that. So two stars collided and their dust particles formed the earth. And then the earth evolved. And then we evolved from the earth. And so they say at the root of everything, at the heart of everything, human beings are nothing more than stardust. So here's my question. Why does it matter what some stardust does to other stardust? Why does it matter? If if you woke up tomorrow and saw a news article that said two stars collided in space, no one on earth is going to get up in arms about that and go, well, they shouldn't have done that. That's not right. Why would that star run into that other star like that? Why would they hit each other? That's mean. It's two stars. No one cares. If we're just stardust, why does it matter what we do to each other? 
Evolution has no answer. Materialism has no answer. You know who does have an answer? God. The Bible says that every single human is created in God's image and created for the purpose of bearing His image in the world, of carrying that to all of creation, that He loves His creation, and that we're to love others as He has loved us. God offers the only rational explanation for why it actually matters how we treat people. You see, our world rejects God, but we have shown You can't know anything apart from God. And all these things they think they've got figured out, they are fools because knowledge and wisdom only come from God. And this is exactly why our world is so confused today, is it not? This is why they're so messed up today. Our world acts like they know everything, like they've got all the answers, but our world can't even tell us what a woman is. That's the time in which we're living. Why? It's because they have rejected God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or as Paul says in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Folks, this is what leads to sin. You understand that, right? This is what leads to sin. This is what leads to rebellion. This is what leads to foolishness. When you do not fear the Lord, when you have no holy reverence for God, no holy all for God, when you reject God, it leads to sin and damnation and foolishness. Until we learn to fear God, we will continue to lack wisdom, which is why God is calling us to humble ourselves before Him this morning. To bow the knee to Him and say, Lord, I don't know anything. You ever been there before at a place in your life? You thought you had it all figured out? God showed you you didn't and you're like, turns out I don't know anything. I need you, God. I need you to teach me. Teach me right from wrong. Teach me what true biblical justice is. Teach me your ways and the way of righteousness so that I can know because apart from you I can't know anything and this is for all people too I mean look at verses four through five it says to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to youth let the wise hear an increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance notice how it covers all people in there the young the old everyone in between you know one of the marks of a truly wise person is that they never think that they've reached the destination, right? Any person you think is wise right now, that person says, I still have a whole lot of growing to do. I've I've walked with God for a long time. I still need to learn more. I need more guidance. I need more wisdom. They're never satisfied with where they're at. And, And so it's this, for all people, they need this. And this is the first aspect of wisdom, okay? It's the knowledge of God that comes from God Himself. But notice the second aspect. Look at the second part of verse 2. It says, to understand words of insight. Now I know, when you read that in English, it looks like the words know and understand are synonymous and pretty much mean the same thing. That's not the case in Hebrew, okay? In Hebrew, the word know, it just means to come to understand something. But the word understand, it refers to discernment. And so this word here, it has to do with the practical application of the knowledge that you receive. So, how are you living this out? 
right? Another way to think about this is that first aspect of wisdom deals with the head and it asks the question, what? What do I need to know? But the second aspect of wisdom, it deals with the hands and it asks, how? How do I live this out? Or how does this look to become a reality in my life? Like, what does this look like to actually live this out in my life? And this is the big disconnect in our world again, right? Is people are stopping at knowledge and they're not taking that next step to wisdom. They're staying over here and God's trying to move people over here from knowledge to wisdom. And the only one who can do that is God himself. So listen, not only without God can we not know anything, without God we cannot rightly apply knowledge to our lives. You need God for knowledge and wisdom. Without Him you can't know anything. But without God, we cannot rightly apply knowledge to our lives. There are plenty of things that we all know. But there are many things that we know that we are not living out in our lives. Right? So for instance, think about it like this. I think every person in this room this morning knows that the Bible says not to store up treasures for yourself here on earth. Everybody know that? Familiar with the verse? Yep, we all know it. Got it. Don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven. We know that. But it's not enough just to know. You have to begin to move from knowledge to wisdom. And how many people are actually asking themselves that next question, which says, well, how much of the things that I actually treasure in my life are worldly as opposed to spiritual. How much of what I'm investing in, how much of what I'm prioritizing in my life is worldly as opposed to spiritual? And when you start to do that sort of inventory, it becomes clear how we need wisdom, doesn't it? We all know you shouldn't store up treasure for yourself on earth, but how many of us are actually mostly treasuring the things of this earth? How many of us are mostly prioritizing the things of this earth? You see, it's not enough just to know. You have to live out what you know. Or or how about this one, for instance? You all know this one. Everybody here knows the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Everybody know that one? Yep. You familiar with that verse? Everybody knows it. You can quote it. You get it on t-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee mugs and everything else. You got it. It's everywhere. We all know it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he shall not depart. But God isn't most concerned with what you know. He's most concerned with what you're doing with what you know. So let's get pointed. Parents, if Sunday morning is the only time that your children hear about Jesus, if Sunday morning is the only time your kids are reading the Bible, or the only time your kids are praying, or the only time your kids are thinking anything at all about Jesus and His kingdom, and the rest of their existence they are being trained by the world, who do you think their allegiance is going to be to? Yeah, you can quote, train up a child in the way he should go. God's not concerned with whether or not you quote it. He's concerned with whether or not you live it. I mean, we're already in the weeds. Let's get even more pointed, yeah? First Sunday back, y'all know how it's like. 
Men. So I'm talking to all the men here. Women, you can tune this one out for a second. Actually, listen and then hold them accountable. That's a better idea, all right? Men. I want you to hear me say this, and I mean this with all grace and love. It is not my responsibility to disciple your children. Hard to say amen on that one, but someone's going to do it, right? Amen, Pastor. Thank you. Front row, we heard it down here. It is not my responsibility to disciple your children. It is not the responsibility of the children's church workers. It is not the responsibility of the Sunday school teachers or the Creek Kid volunteers. It is your God-given responsibility to disciple your children and teach them about Jesus. Amen. The Bible says it is your responsibility. God has entrusted that to you. You were to teach your children about Jesus. You are to teach them about the importance of the church. You're to teach them about commitment to Jesus and His kingdom. You are to show them what it looks like to live as a Christian man in this world. How are you doing with that, men? You see why it's hard to move from knowledge to wisdom now, right? We get it? Knowledge is easy. Everybody can have it. Wisdom is a whole other story. Because it requires you to actually take that step and follow Jesus and actually live out what you know. Knowledge alone is not enough. That's why the Bible even says in James 1.22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You say, I, I know all sorts of scripture. I can quote it. That's great. God's concerned with whether or not you're living the scriptures. Be doers of the word and not hearers only only. He wants us to move from knowledge to wisdom, and He's the only one who can teach us that. Let me tell you something, church. You you don't learn wisdom from reading. And I love to read. I read all the time. Books are some of my best friends, okay? I love to read. You do not learn wisdom from reading a manual on wisdom. You learn wisdom from a relationship. You will learn to live wisely as a citizen of Christ's kingdom as you are in relationship with the king of the kingdom. I mean, that's how children learn, right? I mean, think about children. What do children do? When they want to know how to be like their daddy, do they wait for someone to write a book on what their daddy was like and then they go and study that book? No. They're in relationship with their father and they pay attention to him and watch him. I mean, every single day, every single day when I drop the boys off at school, when I'm dropping Judah off, the last thing I say to him is, be a leader today. Set the example for your class and show them what a Christian man does. He's so used to it, he cuts me off now. I don't even get to say it anymore. (laughs) But I tell him, be a leader and set the example for your class. But here's the kicker. He's going to learn how to be a leader from watching me. I have to be the one to show him what it looks like to love Jesus, to serve the church, to to witness to other people, to prioritize the kingdom of God, to be a good husband, to be a good father. I can tell him all day, be a leader, be a leader, be a leader, but his eyes are going to be on daddy watching me and see what it looks like to be a leader from daddy. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. It's in relationship. 
And that's how we learn from God. As we're in relationship with Him, we learn from Him because He is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Did you notice that's what verse 7 says? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When it says beginning there, it's referring to the source or to the origin, right? Like if a, if a house burned down, the, the fire squad would go in there and what are they doing? They're looking for the point of origin, where the fire started. That's what the Bible is saying here in relation to wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom, all knowledge, their point of origin is God himself. Which means if you do not have God in your life, if you have rejected God, have nothing to do with him, then you do not have knowledge or wisdom. You are, as verse 7 says, a fool who despises it. And so here's what I want you to understand. Ultimately, what this passage is teaching us is that our way, it isn't working. Can we all agree on that? Our way is not working. This tendency we have to think that we know best and we have all the answers and we don't need any help, we don't need any guidance, it's not working. This message that the world preaches to us where they just say, well, hey, listen to your heart. What does your heart say? Who cares what your heart says? What does the Lord say? What does the Bible say? That's what matters. And this tendency that we have to follow our heart, it's not working either. We have proven time and time again that when knowledge and wisdom are left to humanity, the world spirals into chaos. Can we all agree on that? And so here's where the goodness of God comes in. God looks at our condition and He says, they've rejected me. There's no fear before, uh, before their eyes of me. They have no knowledge. They have no wisdom. They are hopeless and helpless. And so what does He do? He sends us His only Son who is literally the embodiment of all of God's divine wisdom. And He invites us to enter into a relationship with Him. To actually know God Himself. To actually get to be counted in Christ. Do you understand the significance of that, folks? The Bible says that if you're a Christian, it's no longer you who live. It is literally Christ who lives through you and in you. You have been connected to Christ through faith. And the Father says, the more that you will listen to my Son, the more that you will walk with Him, the more that you will keep your knees down and your eyes on Jesus, the more you will grow in wisdom. So that's what we have to do this morning. You keep your knees down in humility. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And you shout your dependency on Him. Because without God, we cannot know anything. This world needs wisdom. And so this world needs Jesus. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer.